With the United Methodist Church on the verge of a split, and with church membership across the Christian faith trending downward, one local minister recently used a joint church celebration to focus worshipers on this crisis. She referenced Christ's miracle of feeding the 5,000, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And she encouraged her listeners, as Christ did his, to have faith in their ability to multiply resources. That minister was the Reverend Lisa Bryant, who serves the Asbury Keywood Cooperative Parish, which includes three local churches. Reverend Bryant is in the studio with me today to talk about the decline in church attendance, the schism in the United Methodist Church, and what it all means to the communities in Southwest Virginia. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you, Dirk. I had attended a sermon of yours at Blackwell Chapel recently, and you spent a good bit of your sermon talking about the idea of people coming together, the idea that the church has the capacity to bring more people to it and create a community, and you used the scripture based on Christ expanding the fishes to feed 5,000. Yes. What was the context for that sermon? I mean, I know what it was. It was bringing together three churches, but you had a deeper message as it relates to church attendance and what that means to us as a community. Could you give some background on that? So the first thing to note, actually, is that it was Blackwell Chapel's homecoming. And so there were three different churches that came together on that day. And so I wanted to make it applicable not only to Blackwell Chapel, but to the other churches and churches coming together as well. As you know, our churches are in decline. And it just uh, struck me this time as I read that passage in Matthew's Gospel that... um, You know, Jesus, when the disciples come to him and say, you know, we've got to send all these people away. We do not have enough food. We've got to send them away. There's nowhere to eat here. We've got to to send them away. And Jesus says, no, don't send them away. You feed them. He tells the disciples, you feed them. And I've always highlighted on that part because it's Matthew highlights kind of on that part. But this time something just stuck out to me and it's always been there, but it just, it stuck out to me this time. There was only 12 disciples and lots of times that's around how many we have in our churches on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the sentiment is we can't do it. We, we don't have enough. We just, we've lost so many people. We can't do what we used to. But there's only 12 people and they fed, you know, over 5,000 because there was women and children who weren't counted. Mm-hmm. So we can do when we come together and we rely on each other and we rely on Jesus Christ, we can do. Amazing things. And that's what struck me about this is that we give up maybe in Mm -hmm. rural southwest Virginia about what we can do not only for our churches but for our communities because we think we don't have the resources, we don't have the capacity. But Christ, who guides so many of us in this region, suggested a path. And you articulated that very clearly. It's about whether we determine that we can do something, Mm -hmm. about whether we determine that we really want to make that difference and that it matters for us. I noticed, too, at that service that you had a population of congregants, although they were sort of filling the pews with that homecoming, that 
were nevertheless an older group of Mm -hmm. people. And I'm wondering what that says to you about church these days. Not only are these individual churches that came together dealing with smaller numbers of people coming to church every Sunday, it's an aging population. What should we be concerned about in that? I think that is due to, and, and, and across the board, I think church demographics are, you know, the aging population. But, you know, we're not, we're not seeing as many young people. And honestly, I think that, and we, we've talked about this before, it has to do with our um, political atmosphere in, in our country. There seems to be, and I, I don't want to sound like I, 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 I'm not American, I, I love America, but... <laughs> You know, we we focus so much on individualism. Mm -hmm. And when we focus on individualism, that means I got to do what I got to do to make me better. I'm not going to worry about you. And that is countercultural to what Christ tells us. Christ tells us that we are we are our brother's keeper, that we are better together, that that the community is the image of God, not just me or you, Mm -hmm. that together we are the fullness of God. And so I think when we get back to this mutuality and care of each other, I think we'll see the genuine mutuality and care of each other. I think we'll see more young people coming back because I don't think that, I think they want community. They desire community, but they're tired of the rules that we have put on that community. And we want, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, we want the people in the church beside us to look and act and dress just like us. Yes, we're a welcoming church. We'll welcome anybody, but who's going to really feel welcome? The ones that look and dress just like us. It seems though, and I want to get to that point too, but it seems though we've lost something in terms of that community, that common care for one another. It existed, I'm convinced, when my grandpa and my grandma were going to church. They understood that they believed in it. They may have had this idea that you had to conform, but they still had a sense of the community. And how has that been lost? Is it because people aren't conforming and and the traditional churchgoers are giving up on that or, or or that people who might go come to that church don't otherwise feel that sense of community that was there and if it's not there why isn't it there anymore you know um there's a multitude of reasons but i think one of them is we have um gotten away from we want our churches to be these big churches and everybody come but i don't think our churches were um that they're designed to be that, especially in Southwest Virginia. And this was one of my points of, of the sermon. You know, there there were three little communities that came together to celebrate one of the communities. And if we just take that one community, Blackwell Chapel, you know, there's not a whole lot of population in Blackwell Chapel. Mm-hmm. But they're good about taking care of people in that community. They raise fifteen to $20,000 in benevolence money a year. And it goes straight to the community. And it doesn't matter if they have ever set foot in that church, ever. It goes to the people in the community, whatever the need is. And guess what? We have had people come to the church because of that. Mm-hmm. And because they sense that they are a part of that community and they fall right in place and they don't look like us. They don't agree with us about everything. But that's okay because they're a part of our community. Well, in preparing for this interview, I 
looked up article by Outreach, which is a magazine that's put out by uh, an evangelical group. They did some research on the decline of church attendance, and their conclusion is that, quote, people are attending less or not at all for one major reason. In the words of the study, they stopped believing in the religion's teachings. Do you agree with that? Do you think people have stopped believing in the teachings? And does that coincide with what you're saying about community? Well, I think so. Um, I think that that is, and, and, and it says in the article there's multiple reasons, so, but I think mm-hmm. that's one reason. Because we, we go to church on Sunday morning and we praise, we sing uh, praise to, to the God who we say loves us all. And we, we profess in, in, um, in our creeds that, you know, Jesus died for all. And then we turn around and we, on Monday morning, we are posting on social media that if you do this, you're going to hell. Or if you surely can't be a Christian if you voted for this person. You know, we talk about being a witness. That's our witness. And when people see us doing that, well, those Jesus people, I don't want to have anything to do with them. I mean, and I kind of, I kind of get that. Well, I think that gets maybe to the point that is also included in this article about the research conducted for outreach, and it says in the article, "quote We have an assimilation and dropout problem because our churches are not adequately teaching the Bible and the essentials of the Christian faith." But I'm wondering though if part of the problem. Uh, sort of pulling from what you're saying is we're having trouble identifying what the essentials are so that we can agree upon them and then make the church a more welcoming place. Do you think we have to get to that point? We have to agree on what is essentially Christian so we can come together with the same message that we can sing, no pun intended, from the same same. songbook? I think there are essentials. And for me, those essentials are, you know, Jesus told us what the greatest commandments were. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so to me, that's the essentials. And I think, I mean, I don't want to say that, you know, everybody needs to agree with me, but, mm-hmm. but I mean, he kind of sums it up. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, if you look at um, the Levitical laws, some which were placed on the people in a certain time and place, but they're all geared toward loving and worshiping one God and loving each other. And so, you know, if we if we can do that, yeah, if we can focus on that, and I, and and you know, I I will say that not every religious leader focuses on that. I want to pick up on this theme of the essentials, and then talk about how they apply to our communities and our culture. Uh, I want to take a break first, Lisa, and when we come back, we'll talk about that. I've been talking today with the Reverend Lisa Bryant. She is serving Asbury Keywood Cooperative Parish in this area. We are talking about the strength of churches in our communities, and you are listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. And I am your host, Dirk Moore. And you are listening to WEHC 90.7 and WISE 90.5, the voice of Southwest Virginia.
People Incorporated can help make business dreams a reality with small business loans, helping businesses start or expand with personalized support. To apply or for more information, peopleinc.net or call There, I am your host, Dirk Moore, and today I am talking with the Reverend Lisa Bryant. She is the pastor serving Asbury Keywood Cooperative Parish, and we are talking about the strength of churches, church attendance. This is all stemming from a sermon she gave during the homecoming of Blackwell Chapel. Before we went to break, Lisa, we were talking about the church essentials and whether there is a common theme that we can rely upon to help strengthen churches and help people understand the value of Christianity. But as you know, the United Methodist Church is facing a schism, and many churches have already left the United Methodist Church, and it is around the issues related to LGBTQ worshipers and leaders of churches. Do you think there was a way of avoiding that? Is that an issue that really speaks to the essentials of Christian faith? Do I think there was a way to avoid that? Looking back, no. I think before I would have said, yes, we can all get along. But it, 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 looking back, I think it's, you know, there's been several denominations go through this before us. And it's sad. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's a family that's splitting up. And I don't feel like there's, there's no win. There's no winner. We're all hurt by that. It is suggested by experts, theologians, people who are studying this, that the, this kind of subtraction, this kind of division is what is ultimately impacting what's going on in the church. However, I was reading recently in an article in CNN, which was talking about something hope for churches. And it speaks to demographics. But it may not necessarily be hopeful for churches in rural areas like ours, but it was basically the suggestion that American churches are poised to find new life for one major reason. Waves of Christians are migrating to the United States, and they equate this with the browning of America. A lot of Christians are coming from south of the border, from Latin American and in South American countries. But these are people of strong faith, mm-hmm. and they're helping to rebuild churches. That is something that is perhaps controversial in the one sense, given the current climate around immigration. Mm-hmm. But for churches, something perhaps optimistic. What are your thoughts about that? Um, that's amazing. I. Um... I'd like to read that article. I think we have a lot to learn from our Christian brothers and sisters in other countries. A lot to learn. Our faith has become so it's so it's available and and it's and it's a, a, a commodity that, you know, well if we don't like the way this church is doing it, we'll just go to the next church and we can church shop and we have that ability. And and guess what? We can even sit at home in our pajamas and watch it. But church is not something you watch. Church is something you do. And I think our our Christian brothers and sisters from other countries, you know, they know what it means to take care of each other because they have to. They're the church because they have to be the church mm-hmm. to survive. 
and and we don't we have no clue about that. It is interesting. This article also points out that churches are often the source of strong democracies. That the mm-hmm. churches provide the care that government sometimes won't, and those that kind of care usually translates into more equitable distribution of resources, more voting rights for a greater number of people, uh, which I find ironic because I Mm -hmm. think in this country we're often trained to think of churches as something that is wanting to sort of limit a lot of that, wanting people to be more disciplined perhaps around patriotism and around social issues. And that's not to say these new Christians from other areas aren't going to have the same perspective, but they also believe in church as a source of empowerment. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder if there's a way in this region, if we're not necessarily able to attract those people into our churches because of where we are, if there's a way to learn from those people in terms of how to grow church and how to build community. What are your thoughts about whether or not the church can do more? You mentioned the benevolent fund that the Blackwell Chapel, I believe, Mm -hmm. creates. That says, I think, something incredibly powerful and optimistic about what church community members can do for their broader community. Exactly. That was one of, yeah, my points in that, you know, we... We think about we need we need more people, we need to have the pews always full. But when we focus on church as a community, there's only so many people that we can know well enough to know the needs, to know, to celebrate with them in their joys and cry with them in their sorrows. And so these smaller churches, I think, have an opportunity just to to love the community around them. And yes, I do think we can learn from uh, Christians in other countries Um and, and the, the struggles and the plight that they have endured just to survive. Do you think that the churches in this region can come back to the kind of community building engines that they were at one time? I think so, but it has to be, it has to be a mindset of, of mutuality and care. And, you know, we may not agree, but we, we love each other still. And, and if you need me, I'm here. And if I need you, I know you're here. And, and that's what, that's what community is. And I think the younger generation, people who have been maybe hurt by the church, that's what will attract them to the church. You mentioned something that your son said. I wonder if you wouldn't mind repeating that. I will. He says to me, he's 21 years old, and um, he attends or did attend at this time. He he attended the Wesley Foundation worship at ETSU, and it was led by a young male pastor. But it was young people coming together, and they um, had great worship and great community, and still do. But he said to me, Mom, the reason I don't go to church on Sunday morning anymore is because me and my friends, we're just tired of old white guys telling us what we're supposed to do. So that's, he said, that's why we like Wesley. We just go and we worship God and we, and we be with each other and we fellowship. And and so he's seeing that spirit of mutuality and care that you're talking about. So perhaps through his example, your point is reinforced that mutuality and care is what churches should be about. and, And it's something that has been sort of timeless, but also continues to impact and attract young people. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know, we we talked about this I think but earlier but their mindset is is and their worldview is completely and totally different from ours. I'm at the I think last part of the the baby boomer and you know the issues that I have lived with my entire life is, are not on their radar. 
you know, that their friends are members of the LGBTQ community. Their friends are members from other or people from other countries, other colors, other cultures, you know, other lifestyles. And they don't think anything about it. And a lot of times, I think what we have done is, you know, we whether it be actual or through the the split and the removing of, say, the, the, the cross and flame from our church when we leave the United Methodist Church, you know, th- because of the publicity and the social media and everything surrounding that, the signal that that sends to our young people is that your friends that are part of those communities are not welcome in our church. And so our young people are saying, if they're not welcome, I'm not welcome. I am talking today with the Reverend Lisa Bryant, who serves the Asbury Keywood Cooperative Parish, which includes three churches in our region. Lisa, is it possible that it's because the church is getting older and grayer and that they don't see the world through the eyes of these young people increasingly? And if that's the case, then how do you change that? How do you help open the eyes to these more traditional churchgoers who still have a resistance to understanding how the world is changing and how the world might be okay because of that change? That's a good question. And and I don't know. I don't I don't think this is anything new. I mean, you know, there were issues, the same type of issues in Paul's churches and he writes letters, you know, there was discrimination because of, you know, Gentiles to Jews and Jews to Gentiles, what whatever. Um, however, I do think in a, and as we talked about earlier, the the political climate somewhere along the way, we've got it's gotten to be where it's not okay to disagree anymore. Like if we disagree, we can't be friends. Well, that's n- not the way it is. I mean, you know, my husband and I don't always disagree, always agree on things, but we stay together. We're mm-hmm. still married. And that's, I mean, if you talk to anybody, that's the way it is. But you can't disagree with the person sitting beside you in the pew. Mm-hmm. One of you's got to go. One of you doesn't belong. And how did we get there? I finally want to ask then, how is it for you to have to lead in that environment, to have to, have to lead a congregation of people that might be triggered by maybe the most innocent comment about Christian life or our culture and then can create controversy in a congregation that can be the antithesis of mutuality? Good question. I'm a little bit, um, I guess, jaded and hard-headed. Um, <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, Being a female, I mean, you would be surprised, but that's still an issue. And so I have dealt with that. And let me just say that, you know, it hurts. It hurts. But I was hurt and maybe I have a thicker skin now. So I'm not as, um, you know, I love my people and I don't want to hurt them in any way. But my job is to proclaim the gospel. And that's what I'm going to do. So if someone comes to me and says to me that they can no longer worship in the United Methodist Church, I'm still going to love them. And I'm going to say, okay, how can I help you find somewhere where you are comfortable worshiping? It breaks my heart because it is a part of my family leaving. Is there a way that Christians should be thinking about loving better or differently through this crisis? Maybe, yeah. Um, you know, and this this goes back to the culture. I think one of the, the, the big things that has just really fueled this is the social media and, and the news outlets and, honestly, the, the mistruths that have just really been widespread. And people, you know, the so- social media 
you can look up a video on anything you want, right? You can find anything, but the most watched videos are going to be the crazy to the left and the crazy to the right. So those things get shared and shared and shared, and this is what's going to happen, and people get scared. They, you know, they get angry. get angry. And it must make your job incredibly challenging. It is very hard, and, and, and a lot of my colleagues are having a way tougher time than I am. Do you talk a lot with them? Do they have ideas about how to, to deal with worshiping in that environment? Yes, yes. Um, I'm involved in two clergy covenant groups, and I don't think any of us, each of us would say that we can't survive without each other. Um, We have leaned on each other a lot. And you know what? We don't always agree. Let's say that I am a member of the United Methodist Church that desires to split the global Methodists, or I'm a part of a congregation that is going to join them over this LGBTQ issue. Mm -hmm. And I say that I just really can't reconcile an LGBTQ minister and 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 receiving the word of God from somebody like that. What would you say to me in order to help encourage me to stay with the church and stay with the community of that church? So first of all, I would say that, well, the United Methodist Church has not changed its policy. And as of right now, you will not have an LGBTQ minister in the United Methodist Church in this conference. Yes, there are those in California who have broken the rules of the Book of Discipline. But like anything, we can't control what happens in California. We can't control what happens in our neighbor's house, right? We can only control what happens in our in our sphere. Um, second, we we meet in May of 2024 for our general conference, which is the only body that can change the Book of Discipline. And more than likely, the language will be changed. And it will more than likely, I mean, we don't know what it's going to say. It may not be changed. So we don't know what's going to happen. But it would, I think it would be worth waiting to see what does happen. And my feeling is that there is the language is going to change and it's going to be allowed. Churches are going to be allowed to host in their buildings same-sex weddings. Pastors are going to be allowed to perform same-sex weddings, and self-avowed practicing homosexuals will be allowed to, given that they pass all the other requirements, will be allowed to enter into the ministry. So does that mean, and one of the, one of the, the misinformation pieces that is so widely spread is, if you stay United Methodist Church, you will get a gay pastor. Okay, first off, there's not a whole lot of them lined up waiting to come to Southwest Virginia. Mm. Secondly, as I said, being a female, there are churches that will not accept me. I was supposed to go to one a few years ago, and they said they did not want me. Guess what? I was not sent there. So if the church says they don't want a female and they don't get sent a female, if they say they don't want a homosexual pastor, they're not going to get sent a homosexual pastor. The The conference and the, the, the cabinet want both pastors and churches to succeed. So they've got to find the right match. And then they do their best. There's at times mistakes, but, but with, with everything. Well, when that decision is made and that new language presumably is written, what do you expect will be the future for the church? I would like for this not to be an issue anymore, for us to be about being the church. And that's really what I have tried to do at the churches I serve. When um, when, I, when this started in our conference, when the, the ability to, dis, to go discern the process was, discern the disaffiliation process was available, 
I put it to all my churches, and they said they were not interested. And I said, so let's move forward. And mm-hmm. and that's what I want to do. I just want to go about the business of being the church and, and loving God's people. I've been talking today with Lisa Bryant. She is the Reverend Lisa Bryant, serving Asbury Keywood Cooperative Parish in our region. And we've been talking today about church attendance and the future of the church as it confronts issues that threaten to divide it. And I want to remind you all that I am your host, Dirk Moore, and you are listening to Together Together, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. And you are listening to WEHC 90.7 and WISC 90.5, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you for listening.